0: This week, we had a surprise ruling for many, as the Pennsylvania Supreme Court on Wednesday overturned Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction. This paved the way for him to be immediately released from prison. The justices ruled that since the previous prosecutor said he would not charge Cosby in exchange for testimony in a deposition, any further prosecution would be barred. For more on what to know about the ruling, we'll speak to Lou Shapiro, criminal defense attorney and legal analyst.
1: For most legal analysts that were watching this case, we were baffled at the second trial, when the judge after the first trial says, I'm only allowing one other uncharged witness testify. Now he's allowing five. So we were really taken back by that. We thought it was way too prejudicial than probative. Uh, We thought that the jury would get confused and misled. And they did. They convicted uh, in the second trial and did not convict in the first trial. So that by itself was a big appellate issue. And then you add to the fact that Cosby was promised that when he would give testimony in the civil deposition, that that testimony will not be used against him in a subsequent criminal matter, and then it is, that's not fair. Even a Bill Cosby is afforded the same rights and protections and guarantees that anybody else would be, and he wasn't given them, and the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court made the right decision in reversing this.
0: Bill Cosby has served more than two years of his three to 10 year sentence, so he would be up for parole pretty soon, I guess, uh, based on that timeline. Was this promise not to prosecute, is that something that was done in writing? How was that not brought up the first time around?
1: Apparently, it was not done in writing. So they always say a contract is worth the paper that it's written on. However, it does not seem to be disputed that the previous prosecutor verbally said that. And because that was a verbal you know, agreement, and Cosby justifiably relied on it when he gave that incriminating testimony... That was enough for the state Supreme Court to say, just because something isn't put in writing doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean there wasn't that conversation. Doesn't mean Cosby didn't justifiably rely on it. And for that reason, they said he cannot be uh, retried based on this victim again, because he was promised that his testimony would not be used against him in the trial.
0: Since this is the top court in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, as you mentioned, he can't be retried. Is there any other uh, recourse? I mean... This wouldn't rise up to the U.S. Supreme Court or anything like that, would it?
1: No, it's game over uh, for the prosecution on this one. The only other thing they might try to do is if they have a different victim who falls within the statute of limitations to try him, um, maybe, but it doesn't appear that they do. And I think if I'm the prosecutor, I think they're going to walk away from this thing. Look, he served some time. It was an old case. We tried him two times. We've got our pound of flesh. I think we need to move on quietly from this one.
0: Uh, You mentioned about uh, how they allowed other women to testify on this. Uh, They said that this kind of rose to character attacks. Can you help us explain some of that and why that's important?
1: So the rules of evidence do not allow bad character evidence to be used against a defendant in a case. Because the concern is that if a jury hears that somebody did something uh, similar in a previous situation... That they probably will think, okay, once a thief, always a thief, kind of rationale. So the rules of evidence are very strict on instructing a judge: you are only to allow an evidence of this case and not of previous acts, previous similar cases against the defendant. Now, like any law, there's always exceptions, and there are a few exceptions to that rule. Like one exception is to show motive: the person has a tendency to do something like this; they are wired that way. He's saying he, he doesn't do this kind of uh, hacking or breaking into an entry he did the same kind of thing in the previous case you can see the identity is the same so there are exceptions Uh, or to show that this didn't happen by mistake meaning he says he didn't give her a pill that put her to sleep but what about these other five girls who say they got the same pill that put him to sleep so you can't say this was an accident or i accidentally gave the wrong pill because you did it five other times so those are exceptions that, the, that it can come in for those reasons alone. But the problem is, if you allow too many exceptions, if you allow too many witnesses to testify, then what happens is the jury starts getting prejudice. And the job of a trial judge is to make sure that there's not too many of those exceptions coming in, which clouds a jury and results in an unfair conviction.
0: So, you know, in the end, Lou, I mean, this is uh, is this a mistake on the prosecutor's side for just to have even gone forth with that second trial? Uh, I mean, where do we land on that?
1: Cosby is going to probably come out of this saying, I am vindicated, I'm innocent, I wasn't convicted, right? That's probably where he's going to go. And he says, I told you all along, I'm innocent, and here's the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court telling you that, right? But really, that's not what's happening. Really, what's happening is, and the prosecution may say this, is that the case is old. It's difficult to prove cases from such a long time ago without being able to use you know, forensic evidence and so forth. They gave it the best they had. But the rules of evidence just prevent them from really proving the case beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a safeguard, not just for Cosby, but against everybody else that's accused of something that happened a long time ago. The longer a prosecution waits to prosecute someone, the worse position it puts a defendant in. And that's the takeaway here, that everybody's rights and liberties are protected, especially as we go into the July 4th holiday.
0: Lou Shapiro, criminal defense attorney and legal analyst, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. The other story we've been following all week is the collapse of the Champlain Towers South Condo in Florida. We've been hearing a lot more about red flags that were raised about the building going back to 2018 and even just two days before it collapsed. An engineering consultant indicated in a 2018 report that concrete damage would multiply exponentially over the years, despite residents being told that the building was in good shape. For more on all these building warning signs, we'll speak to Alicia Fieldstatt reporter at NBC News.
2: We are getting some insight into a process that that started in 2018 in which an inspector went to the building and he started seeing some erosion under the pool, raised alarms to that effect, and then at a meeting in which the residents were updated following that inspection, they were told everything is fine, the building looks fine. A year later, a board member raised concerns about construction that was happening very close to this building quick email shot off like any of us would do hey i'm worried about this construction and she emailed a town um, building supervisor and it was the same man who had said same thing don't worry about it i don't even need to come by to check let it leave your mind in 2021 when someone else came by to simply check the pool of the building was when the extreme erosion they they started finding so much more and the 2018 warning had come to fruition and that's when the the building president sent a letter to the residents telling them that it was going to be a pretty penny to fix all of these concerns and just to be clear, this is a condo building. So the people in the building essentially own the building. So if, if there need to be repairs, then they all need to chip in. And between 2018 and 2019, that number rose by $6 million from $9 million to $15 million. And the, the language in this letter is, you know, months before half of it collapsed is just the alarm bells. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, in, in that yeah.
0: report, they said, hey, this needs to be handled pretty quickly. That all of these things would multiply exponentially the problems that were going on. And as you mentioned, you know, the residents at the time were told nothing was really wrong. There was no urgency despite this report to start kind of fixing some of those things. You know, you mentioned that, you know, there was a pool inspector there checking out uh, some stuff. That was two days before the building collapsed. He even took pictures of cracked concrete, exposed rebar. And he wasn't there to do anything for the building. He was just doing pool inspection stuff. But he, even he noticed standing water in some of the uh, par- in the parking garage. All of this stuff was alluded to in that report from 2018 that you were mentioning.
2: And then again, in the letter that the president sent just in April. And that pool inspector, he said there was standing water all over the parking garage. He said there was a puddle of water and specifically located in a part where the contractor in 2018 had reported there was major structural damage. So there were warning signs here. This wasn't something that came out of nowhere. We had three years of warning signs. And again, we still don't know exactly what had caused this building to partially collapse, but it's definitely coming into clearer view. And that pool area, we have another uh, colleague of mine spoke to a woman yesterday or a man yesterday whose wife had called him during the collapse, and she said the pool was just swallowed, and then the line disconnected. This was Mm -hmm. shortly before the building flattened.
0: In the meantime, we've seen some lawsuits filed around this already.
2: We've had three lawsuits. At least two of them have been class action. And what the board is saying, now this is the building board. Again, owners of the building, residents in the building make up this board, they've responded repeatedly that they, they really want to focus on the search and rescue now. And they, they don't want to talk about the legal action just yet. It's it's too soon.
0: The other thing is uh, there's a nearly identical building, Champlain Towers North, which is about a block away. I think it was built a year later from the South condo, which is the one that collapsed residents. Uh, I think they're doing some audits there and looking into the structural integrity there. Uh, a lot of the residents there aren't leaving. They say that that building is better maintained, but you know, this is just causing for a lot of building inspections in the area. Anything above, I think, six stories, uh, 40 years old or more, you know, they're really starting to turn a closer eye to these things.
2: Yeah, the mayor has ordered that for all of these buildings. And again, they're all told to go through this 40-year audit, but she's just, Making sure that that is happening and anything that that is near that 40 years, they're on the ground right now looking at those and same with that sister building. They've already done a quick audit on it and they're going back and they're going to do a more in-depth one. But residents have said that most of them are sticking around. Only about 25 percent have left, according to their account.
0: Alicia Fieldstat, breaking news reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. Fourth of July weekend is here, and it's important to be safe when dealing with fireworks. In South LA on Wednesday, an explosion came for the LAPD. They responded to a tip and found 5,000 pounds of illegal fireworks at one home, including other improvised explosive devices. Those devices were put into a special chamber to be detonated when an unexpected explosion occurred injuring 17 people and damaging nearby cars and homes. For more on this story, we'll speak to Steve Gregory, KFI news reporter in Los Angeles.
3: They got a tip from a neighbor in in a part of South Los Angeles that there had been a stash of these illegal fireworks. And so when bomb squad techs from the Los Angeles Police Department got on scene, they went inside and they were able to look around and see that they had boxes and boxes of these fireworks. So they used trailers and they used box trucks to get all of those cases out. Well, deep embedded in the back of this garage area, they found other boxes that didn't match the first set. And when they started to look at it, they realized they had improvised explosive devices. Now, they appeared to be about the size of a Coke can. There were 40 of those items, then about 200 more, the same shape, but much smaller. So they had to go through a a, a protocol of cutting them in half with a robot and checking the chemical properties and doing x-rays to make sure there wasn't any other metal pieces in it. Maybe it was an explosive with, you know, some sort of ball bearings or nails or something in them. And they found out that, that, well, yes, it's an explosive and they're going to have to do something with it. But they didn't want to take a chance on hauling it in the same fashion they did with the other batch. So they brought in what they call their total containment vehicle. It's this round spherical gadget, i I, for lack of a better word, it's a vessel, I guess, that's mounted onto a flatbed trailer and hauled by a semi-tractor. And they were putting some of that in there and about to detonate it or neutralize it to make it inert, when all of a sudden, the entire thing just obliterated. The entire total containment vehicle just exploded
0: right it was a huge scene and there was camera crews on hand and everything there's actually audio of it because that's how much interest there was in it so let's play a little clip of that explosion as i mentioned homes were damaged a car flipped well, over you, well, not, yeah
3: a car got knocked over and you'll hear the car alarms being triggered
0: yeah. i mean just a huge huge scene right there and and what happened you know in the immediate aftermath
3: Well, immediate aftermath, everyone was in shock. Obviously, you had residents that were impacted. You had officers that were on scene. Because keep in mind, this was already a planned event. So you had plenty of officers on scene. You had a containment area, a safe zone. You had Los Angeles City firefighters there. You had members of the Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms Agency there. So you had people already around the area. And in total, at last count, as of Wednesday night's press conference, There had been 17 injured, and 10 of whom were officers. Seven were civilians. Now, the most severe injuries were those of civilians, and mostly cuts from shattered glass and scrapes from falling, a lot of ear ringing, and a lot of those kinds of injuries. Fortunately, no one had any life-threatening injuries.
0: Well, I mean, in a situation that is so unexpected, nobody thought that was going to happen. I'm sure people were a lot closer than they should have been. Uh, Right,
3: because they assumed everything was under control, and they have detonated explosives in that containment vehicle numerous times before.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about that containment vehicle. Here's LAPD Chief Michael Moore talking about how it should have been sufficient. Whatever they were putting in there should have been, the, the truck should have held up.
3: The total charge or group of this improvised explosives was less than 10 pounds, is, it, is our investigation to this point. That The rating is my understanding of that vessel, as a rating, a standard rating of a 15 pounds of material, with an outer containment shell of 18 pounds.
0: So that should have been enough. I mean, we'll obviously learn more as the investigation goes. But I mean, does that suggest it was more than maybe gunpowder in these IEDs? I mean, right. Wh- and what and do I they think, think? The,
3: the two prevailing theories, according to sources of mine in law enforcement, that it was a chemical that they did not identify there was something in that batch that they were unable to detect or there was structural integrity issues with the actual vessel those seem to be the two prevailing theories wow and you know for it to completely obliterate the way it did there had to be a catastrophic failure of the design of that or it needed servicing i'm not sure the background on how those are serviced or how they're maintained but Structural integrity was being thrown around quite a bit
0: last night. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of video, and people can check it out and just see how huge that explosion was. They said that the top of this armored container probably weighs as much about a, a, as one ton, mm-hmm. and that thing flew like two blocks away. Right. Now, the other fireworks that they were able to haul away safely, were those uh, just kind of your normal mortars and other these illegal yeah. fireworks sets that we usually see? Commercially
3: designed and commercially manufactured, and they're telling us that they came from out of state. So somewhere out of California, it's not clear if they meant Mexico or just recently Cal Fire announced 80,000 pounds of seized fireworks in the last two months, just from the Arizona California border and the Nevada California border. So just an interdiction program between those two borders. Right. And so these fireworks, 5,000 pounds in total. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a ton, that's a ton <laughs> <Yeah>. of fireworks. <laughs> totally. uh, but um it's not clear the origin of them and who manufactured them, but the thing that had him most concerned were those IEDs.
0: Yeah, of course arrest made, they arrested 27 year old Arturo Sejas and all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a young guy, but anything more that we learned about him
3: other than his 10 year old brother was there too. Oh wow. And they had to uh, call child and family services to come get the 10 year old brother. And in addition to the possession of the illegal fireworks and explosives, They're looking to tack on a child endangerment charge as well.
0: What do uh, police departments, fire departments do in the lead up to the 4th of July pandemic happened? There's a lot of pent-up demand to party and blow these things up. Uh, I mean, what do they do in preparation for this? Because they know it's going to happen. Obviously, they made this big bust, but there's going to be illegal fireworks all over the place. Sure. Every
3: fire department, every law enforcement agency in America has been having a press conference almost every day. To tout the dangers of illegal fireworks and fireworks in general. We're in a record drought. Right. So there's also the fire danger, then there's the explosion danger. But the problem is, is all these jurisdictions, municipalities have different codes and rules with respect to fireworks. The city of Los Angeles fireworks are illegal, but city of Los Angeles has some of the largest numbers of fireworks being detonated during Fourth of July. So, you know, law enforcement agencies are it's kind of like sit back, hold their breath, and hope for the best.
0: Steve Gregory, reporter for KFI News in Los Angeles. Thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.